Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever you are in the world. I hope you've had a wonderful day, morning, afternoon, evening. We are here today on Sarah's Sessions to talk to Jean-Sébastien Dufresne, founder of Ici et Là, Histoire de Vie, and a professional of all sorts. I will let him explore his titles if need be. We are here to have a wonderful little conversation about why you've been doing this. So let me ask you, how have you, who are you? Mm, good question. Can we start well, with that? <laughs> sure. Well, thank you, first of all, uh, Sarah, for inviting me here uh, today. It's really an honor for me to be part of that series. Uh, um, I, I would say that uh, I am, um, I would define myself as a, a curious, lifelong learner. Uh, that is always seeking to better understand and rethink how we, uh, how we individually and, and collectively adapt to this ever-changing complex world in which we live in. So how, how we interact between each other, how, how we make decisions also. So I've worked uh, for the past years uh, on, on various topics, but always related to how, how we connect as humans and how we move forward you know, as, as groups, as a collectivity. Um, so yeah, so you mentioned the organization ICLA uh, that I, I founded almost 20 years ago. So it's been a while, uh, we've been around for a while. And uh, its mission is to promote a more inclusive um, society through intercultural uh, education. Uh, so to create spaces where people can interact, can can share uh, how they, they what they learn about about each other in safe spaces where we allow ourselves to be vulnerable. Uh, we allow ourselves also to to um, to seek what is our true identity because mm -hmm. I think it's important to better know who we are if we want to share it with someone else and and to interact and to learn from someone else. So that, that organization has been uh, around for, like I said, 20 years, working with youth, with, with adults also, uh, but always seeking to, to create these spaces that I think are so important where we can learn from each other and grow uh, together. And uh, and also, I, uh, like you mentioned, you know, I've, I've uh, went through a, a master's degree in, in um, intercultural mediation, actually. So I'm a mediator also by, by training and and I'm currently doing a master's in, in human systems intervention at Concordia and, and a doctorate in law at University of Sherbrooke. So uh, working, uh, studying uh, governance, actually, because I, I believe that um, that uh, uh, that we have as as a people, there is different ways that we found to give ourselves norms. Um, so there is, um, you know, the, the 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 formal way I would say it is like the lawmakers, you know, politicians that would vote on laws. You have also the judges who are making decisions uh, that after uh, are being used to create norm, and you have sometimes you know experts that. Um, that will uh, come up with you know ideas and, and theories that also are used to 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 create norms. But nowadays, what we see is that uh, civil society also creates its own norms. So you have groups of people that decide together uh, about you know how we should give ourselves rules, either in small groups and organizations and collectivities. So I'm interested also in how. 
how this way of giving ourselves norms can maybe be a better way to address complex issues where politicians fail. You know, like when we talk about climate change, you know, uh, and we're wondering why, why is it that it's so complicated to get politicians to take concrete actions on that? And there are some explanations. You know, I've worked for many years also on, on electoral reform. So I know that there is, uh, you know, there is an issue with our systems of, of you know, how the power is given to the decision makers. Um, so maybe we'll talk about this a little bit later. But But I think that there is something that, that we see, we've seen for the past years, that, that there is some power coming from civil society of, of giving ourselves some, some norms. And, and I'm interested in seeing how we can uh, better address those complex issues by, by having collectivities and groups of people taking uh, and addressing these issues together. How fascinating. <laughs> how fascinating. Were you always such a social science fanatic to go and look into how these interconnections mm -hmm. and these um, dynamics evolve? Or how did you start in yeah. all of this? How, how did you uh, know one day to go towards this? Mm -hmm. What called you? Yeah, I, th I think we all need... Uh an experience that we live and we go through and then we, we have some sort of awakening because I, I think that we live in, in a society that, that, that tries to tell us that there is stability, that there is comfort and there is so many distractions around that, that, that we have so that we don't necessarily uh, pay that much attention to, to issues and to, uh, to societal issues and, 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 and complex issues that are affecting our world. And I think that some, through some experience and one specific one that I live when I went for the first time in, in Mali, in West Africa in, in uh, 2002, um, I spent a few months there and, and just experiencing a reality that was totally different than mine, you know, from here, because uh, I'm, I'm originally from, from Quebec, from Setsil, the north coast of Quebec. So, so to go in a really remote place and to experience that, Uh, at the time, it was not that common. You know, nowadays you have more youth traveling around. It's, it's more common that people you know would want to go and experience things. But at the time, it was not that common. And and I think that this really uh, allowed me to realize that there was a really big value in connecting with people that that see the world in a different way and and to re-question our own perception of the world. And I think that this. This part of re-questioning who we are, you know, and wondering, who am I really who I want to be? You know, and seeing that what I've been told that I am and what I've thought that I am for so many years can be different. You know, and just this little realization, this little awakening is really powerful because we can spend a whole lifetime you know without questioning who we are you know and and sometimes with with a, a experiencing a situation where you get this dissonance of seeing well you know this the reality that i thought the world was well there is another reality you know that is really different and just having to experience that for some people maybe it's a given you know people Often, people that, that have traveled, people have, have immigrated, for example, you know, have experienced that, you know, mm -hmm. of having two different realities. And But for people who have were born in some place and have lived their whole life, 
it's not necessarily something that comes, you know, naturally. So you have to force yourself to live such experience. And, and I think that this specific experience gave me this, this awakening that, that there is value in, in re-questioning who we are and then trying to figure out ways to, to define uh, what we want to be. And to cultivate. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and to curate our surroundings to mm -hmm. be able to have... Uh, the soil to cultivate, right? Yeah, and, and to, I think also what I, I realized that this was an experience that I personally lived, but I saw value in having, in creating spaces where other people could experience that. Mm -hmm. So that's why through this organization, ICLA, that I founded after I came back from that first trip to Mali, was to create those spaces where we could, in a safe environment, you know, when people could feel trust, you know, can feel that they they won't be judged. Well, to to recreate this these encounters where we we can get people out of their you know uh, immediate reality or their their understanding of the world and broadening their perspective and creating this little dissonance that mm. I think is really important to be able to to want to, to, to change and to move in a different direction. How beautiful. Before I continue with uh, my other questions, everybody and myself are interested in why did you go to Mali? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, actually, well, like, like for, for many things, I, I think in life, uh, sometimes it just happens uh, as it has to happen. You know, in case of, of uh, Mali, I wasn't even supposed to go there. Uh, I was on a, on a waiting list of a program that was called Canada World Youth. Um, it's a program that actually was closed um, you know, a few years ago. Uh, it was a really valuable program. I had the privilege to meet its founder, Jacques Hébert. I was actually a friend of my grandfather, so that's how I got to know the program. And this man, Jacques Hébert, uh, who, who died a few years ago, and actually I was invited to speak to his funeral because I was someone, the youth from the program that was invited to, you know, to speak because I, this program had such a, a, a tremendous impact in, on my life. Um, because it definitely changed the course of my life uh, for the better, I think. And and this man, at some point, I had the privilege to meet him a few times. And actually, I did a radio interview with him. And he explained to me that one point in his life, he had a dream. And his dream, as he explained to me, was that one day we would close you know, the country. Well, at the time, it wasn't possible. Now we know with COVID it's possible to close a country. By that time, it was free. Uh, it was a fantasy. But he said we could close a country, take everyone we have in the country and ship them outside of the country. Spend one year in another place you know, in the world and then bring back everyone. Mm. What do you think it would have as an impact on, wow. on our people, you know, on, on the majority group? You know, of people who have maybe traveled a bit, you know, went to, you know, some resorts and or some, you know, major touristic destinations, but have not necessarily experienced what it is to really live a different reality and really get out of her daily, you know, uh, routine. Uh, he said, what do you think it would make us as a people, you know? So we would be Incredible. leaders in the world, you know, being open to diversity, to, to, to collaborating with other people, you know. It would be you know, extraordinary. He said, well, it's true we cannot do that for everyone. But at least let's allow all the youth who want to experience that to do it. And that was the essence of Canada World Youth. 
So I found that this vision was was interesting. And with my organization, ECLR, we wanted to recreate a similar context. You know, it, ideally, you would want to have people to go elsewhere and to experience you know, firsthand what it is to live a different reality. But with limited resources or time, how can we recreate those spaces here? Because we have, you know, we're a pretty diverse you know, uh, society here. So how can we build those connections here, you know, so that people can nourish, you know, this, this community of people coming from different horizons and, and building a, a common project as a society by creating those spaces here uh, in Quebec. How beautiful and how exciting. Monsieur mm. Hébert was clearly a very wise man um, with fantastic ideas and you followed the footsteps. You followed what this um, youth program, Youth Canada-wide program, uh, was supposed to do, and it brought you to Mali to experience this and bring it back to here. So can you tell us a little more about Isila and how um, it's evolved, mm -hmm. what it is and how it's evolved since yeah. 2002? Well, actually, it really started as, as a youth that organization. We were students, uh, you know, we were doing meetings in, in the library at the cafes. And, and so we really started as a volunteer organization doing, you know, actually doing activities in, in, in classes, in, in classrooms and, and having kids from different countries corresponding to videos, writing. At some point, we started to have funding. And Ultimately, you know, we over the years we got more and more professional. We started to hire people once we got some funding, and and developed a theory of change that uh, actually is. Uh, we think that if we allow individuals to experience this, these spaces of of you know meeting with people from different realities and and broadening our perspectives these people will become actors of change also. So we started at the individual level. Now we're working uh, more with organizations. So uh, co-constructing um, uh, inclusion policies in organizations. Um, so, so we're working more at the systemic you know, level. Um, and I think that, that by working in that direction, uh, we have an opportunity, I would say, that is quite unique you know, in Quebec because we have, with, even though we have lots of you know, issues with with diversity, with the current government, and and with all you know all the politics around it, and and that is not necessarily uh, all that positive because there is some people making a lot of political gain in trying to to try to to antagonize some parts of the of the of the population, which I think is is going in the opposite direction of wanting to build a common project. You know, mm -hmm. Because there's a really good opportunity here to build a project where everyone can feel a part of. You know? So, so I think that there's this real potential to to do really extraordinary things here in Quebec. Uh, you know, for for two reasons. You know, we have there's something that I think we don't value as much. You know, for for people who are born here, but we have you know we have freedom, we have liberties, mm -hmm. we have security. You know, we have stability that that can be. Uh, really ground for experimentation, of trying things, you know, of exploring, of, of, you know, of, uh, for innovations, social innovations that maybe, you know, unfortunately in other parts of the world, it's, it's less, you know, possible for many reasons and would be more you know, dangerous. People will have more at risk of trying other things. And here, I think we have a 
one hand this, this stability, but in the other, on the other hand, we have the comfort also that comes with it. So there is also not that much of a need of wanting to change things when you know, you've been born in a place that you no, know, it's not that bad when you compare it to the rest of the world. And so, so you might not necessarily see the need of wanting to change things, uh, which doesn't mean that there are no problems. And and this is why I think that 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 wanting to build a common project and wanting to to put the finger of what are the things that we want to work on to make this place you know even better than it is right now. And one thing that I've seen that I worked on for about a decade was was improving our democratic system here in in, uh, in Quebec. A lot of people might say, well, you know, you have a good democracy, you know, you're, you're safe, you know, you have freedoms and stuff. It's true. Uh, but at the same time, uh, the reason why, you know, we have so much difficulty tackling complex problems like like climate change you know and 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 inclusion in our society in a, in a diverse society that will become more diverse in the years to come because right now we're arguing is it more 10,000 less or more immigrants per year you know this like little debate in a few years it's going to be hundreds of thousands of people coming in and not mm-hmm. people that we will choose and they speak french and the they will be climate refugees, people that we will have yeah. no choice to welcome because these people won't have any place to live. You know? So we will have a flood of people coming in, rightfully, because they will have no other places to go. And we as a society will have to adapt to that, for sure. And, and we don't have a political system that allow that. Mm-hmm. Uh, if we just look at you know, how it works right now, you know what? Uh, we have, you know, with the Coalition Avenir Québec and François Legault being in power right now, you know, they, they earned about 40%, roughly 40% of the votes in the last elections, and they got 70% of the seats, which gave, gives them 100% of the power. Like, anything that is voted in the National Assembly right now, well, passes when it comes from the government. Like, there's no, there's no power to the opposition. And we're in a system that allows that systematically so we have every election when you go back in time there's always been this big difference between the support of the population to the different parties and the actual political weight and power that they get when it comes down to deciding on on laws on things that will have impact on everyone and this for me is really really important because when you want to tackle complex issues like inclusion like climate change when you have a system like that, it's really difficult because the, power, the government, the party in the power, they just have to rely on the minority of the population to remain in power. And this minority, quite often in the current case, they don't really want to take much action on climate change. They want to remain their key little comfort and they don't really want to do that much for inclusion because they want to stay with true Quebecers and, you know, so there's a big issue with, with the structure that we have and the way that we have the power structured here that I find that is really uh, important to address. The problem is why we don't address it, I believe, is that you know, we have, uh, we don't, I think, as a people, we have, like I said, too much comfort right now with, with our situation. And there's not, we don't have this perception of who we are versus who we want to be. And that, I think... Who As an we individual, are versus who we want to be. Yeah, and that requires clarity on on who we want to be. Like so, to like. How do we know? 
Voilà. So, so you know, like I said, for the individuals, you know, when, with ICLA, and we've been working of trying to allow people to, to pinpoint what they are really, to, what's their own identity and what they want to, to become. And I think that when you're able to nail this down, to, to verbalize that, for individuals or for groups, and it's the same, when you're able to put words and say, well, this is what I want to become, and I realize that this is what I am right now, there's this gap between the two. And I think this is where the magic happens. Because when you realize that, this is, this is room for change. This is where you can take action. But for this, you need to have this discussion, this mm-hmm. dialogue, this, 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 you know, this space of interaction where people can, can discuss on, well, what is it that we really want? And I think that, actually, in Quebec, we haven't had this opportunity yet to do this conversation, but with the whole population, not just... Do you certain. think that we've had the, the, this conversation on individual levels? Because I think that would I, be a good start. Uh-huh. Even at the individual <laughs> level. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. You're right. At the individual Because level, we, there is very, very little opportunities that we have or that we take to take the time to just you know, sit back and say, well, what is it that I really want and that I really want to be versus what I, I am? And, and this is so precious When mm-hmm. we realize that, when we're able to, to put the finger on that. And so, like you said, yes, at an individual level, I think we need to do it, um, but also uh, at, the, at different levels. And that's why, you know, in my, my doctorate in law and working on governance, I'm really interested on, on how, how, as groups, you know, we can come to agree on what, what are the norms that we can agree and that we can give ourselves. Uh, what are the factors that come in play to make this, uh, to allow people to really reveal what is it that they truly want and truly want to become and to create this, to, to, to realize that this space is there for us to grow and to, to, to take action. And it's only then, I think, that we can really take action because if not, we can remain in our position forever. You know, you have people who would remain the same for their whole life. You have... You know, societies that will you know, move back and forth you know, <laughs> for, for decades, mm-hmm. for centuries. Uh, and I think it's so important nowadays because we, have, we are facing complex issues that, that require to take bold actions mm-hmm. you know, to, to maybe have a chance to resolve them. Uh, and, and that, for me, requires that we have these kinds of discussions. Um, and it, had, it happened a few times in Industry of Quebec where... We had this, you know, regional tours of people who organized, like, uh, okay, we're going to have this, uh, or things like that. But quite often, it was f- from people, organized by people that ultimately became politicians and then mm-hmm. ended up in political parties. And, well, and then you have always people wondering, well, is that discussion going to be instrumentalized then later on for political and partisan you know, gains and... and So, so I think there's this, this need of having these spaces uh, coming from civil society, you know, not from the political parties, but really coming from the society so that we can have these kinds of conversations uh, first internally as ourselves, as individuals, but also together to make a sense of who we are as, as a people and, and who, where do we want to head as a people also. Thank you. For all of that, there's so much that I want to ask about and that I want to explore because 
there's so much richness in what you're saying in the opening of the conversation just on the basic level of individuals and then bringing that to the societal uh, impact and how that could impact our environment and our political stance and mm -hmm. growth. But like in your experience so far from ICELA, from your master's and your, your doctorate and your studies, as well as your work in publishing, um, how do you see that happening in the society that we have today, which is so individualized, so uh, me, 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 and very closed in in a day and age where everything should be more open, mm -hmm. um, but still racism is prevalent and very systemic. And even though we're almost the same skin, but our hair color is different, or I do something different than you do, there seems to be a lot of connection in some cases, in some short cases where, you know, I, I'm in a yoga environment and I'm thinking of all the healers that I know that are very uh, accepting and whatnot, but in the real society of individuals working day in, day out um, at the factory or at the school or at the Jean Coutu, um, how do we bring that awareness within mm -hmm. ourselves? How do we open up to the possibility of change when we don't know what changes and change is very scary for many, very fearful because it takes you out of your comfort zone and pushes you into a different state. So how do you push that boundary within people for themselves? Or do you see that happen? Mm -hmm. Is that too much of a yeah. big question? Well, first you mentioned the publishing, maybe for the people who are listening, just to, to point out what, oh, we, what, didn't, what right. we didn't address that. But yeah, I also uh, yeah I also have a, a business in the publishing industry, an agency uh, that uh, represents publishers and authors internationally for the sale of, of translation rights. Uh, uh, so so yeah, so the purpose and the link I would make with this this business is is really to to allow the the travel of of you know of literature of, of publishing content from here to other countries to exchange you know because because literature is also uh, a big cultural you know, vector to uh, so that's also a way to to promote mm -hmm. these these exchanges and the, to better understand each other uh, but to go back to your question yes uh, I think there's I don't think we can expect realistically you know a lot of change uh in, in our own generations. I think it's something that will go beyond, maybe beyond our lifetime also. Mm -hmm. you know, some, I work over several generations. I've experienced a lot of, I've seen a lot of change, even with, with the youth that we work with, you know, in terms of, yes, openness, in terms of, of curiosity, of wanting mm. to, to understand things that maybe just a few generations back, we didn't have that, you know, that was really centered on, on well, so for some people of our own existence, of our own, you know, comfort and, so we're seeing more, I think, curiosity, more awareness of, of mental health and mental wellness issues. And I, I like also the mental wellness because it's not just in reaction, but it's also how can we prevent? How yes. can we create spaces that for us, 
for to maintain a mental wellness. And I've seen that with with students that I've I've been with uh, and youth that I work with, and that they have really big they're really cautious about that. And I I see this as being positive because you know being more aware of ourselves, as you said a bit earlier, is 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 a step a really important step. You know of, of being well with ourselves and i think that we see in the current young generation more awareness about that and i i'm confident that at some point being more cautious about ourselves will bring us to pay more attention to what is it that impacts everyone what are the over you know the overarching uh issues what are the the, the greater scheme of things you know what, what are the, the these issues and the climate is one the inclusion is one you know how, how can we can can we we live together you know in a way that everyone can fulfill their potential so that as a society as a whole you know, we succeed all together and i think this is a way of thinking that i don't think we can impose it i don't think we can you know, push this i think it will come from from this awareness that that our own wellness is also comes from the wellness of others. You know, we cannot just rely on our own wellness, but that I think will take maybe one or two more generations to get there. And the big issue is that, that well, climate change will catch up with us because this is, this is right now. You know, so, so this is my, personally my, my concern is that we're running out of time. You know, it's not, if we had more time, you know, we can wait for several generations for this to happen. So there is this need of taking action, I think, I think now. So we need to provoke a bit mm-hmm. <laughs> the thing. So for me, I think trying to work on, like my, my researches are, are on how to, how to, to bring these decision-making, these exchanges at, at more lo- local level, how to, to discuss on, on how we want to govern ourselves and, and create norm uh, amongst ourselves. At, at some local level, is it on, on environmental issues, on social issues, but at the local level in, in communities, in groups, in organizations. I think this is a level where we, it is manageable. We can do something. We can have an impact. People can feel the impact and experience it, can see the value in, in you know, having these spaces where we, we learn from each other when we share and when we decide together. I think that by experiencing it, as much as I experienced my first trip in Mali, you know, to experience things, you know, situations where we we get out of our comfort zone and and we we put the finger on what we want to become, either personally or or as a group, compared to where we are, and experiencing this discomfort and that zone mm-hmm. in between. If we can experience it at a local level in, in some group uh, managing uh, the decisions at a local level then I think can build trust that we can do it at other levels. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's my, my way of approaching things uh, and tracking, trying to tackle this, this broader issues uh, before, uh, without having to wait for several generations because that might be a little bit long. <laughs> right. And I, I noticed that um, the environmental impact that's, that's going on right now with all the floods and all the burnings mm. and the fires and these incredible seas um, that are happening around the world. I guess you seem to be very attentive to that mm-hmm. and very empowered by bringing that awareness to people yeah. from people's individuation and identity to people's environment. Mm-hmm. Right? Yep. How does how did you get into that? 
Yeah. Well, it's interesting what you're saying because actually I went uh, two weeks ago to an exhibition uh, at the uh, National Film Board here in Montreal. It's uh, actually a friend of mine, Sandra Rodriguez, who, who uh, was working at the MIT and actually came up with an exhibition of um, an AI, an artificial intelligence model based on Noam Chomsky, the, mm. the famous linguist, philosopher, thinker. Uh, and... Wow. And she actually took all what is has been produced on him, you know, either recordings, conferences and stuff, and build an AI model. So you can interact with this model on, in virtual reality. You can ask questions and then get responses uh, as if you were talking with Noam Chomsky. And she says that it's probably one of the first models of digitizing a human being, actually, which is kind of immortalizing this person Incredible. because forever you will be able to communicate exchange ask questions and get answers based on what this person has mm -hmm. said previously you know and one of my questions was yeah you know based on, on what you said you know that when we look at, at the climate change the climate crisis some people would mm -hmm. say that is already beyond what were what the worst scenarios were predicting. You know, we're already beyond that. Now, you see, scientists don't know anymore what what to say because they're like, Man, we're, we're, what we see is is worse. You know, it's like when you, you know when, when you look at sci-fi movies and you look at reality, and like, well, reality is worse than what, what the fiction is. So the fiction can't ca catch up. You know. So we're in that situation right now. So it can be really preoccupying. So I was. Asking the model, you know, what what is, and what is the the meaning of our existence as humans, you know, in in this area, in, the, in this age, where we're facing these these big changes that will affect us all, you know, and the answer that he came with, saying, well, you know, we have as humans this unique capacity of of learning and collaborating and figuring out together how to resolve situations. We have this. Mm -hmm. We have this capacity. Do we have the trust and the confidence in ourselves enough to use it as its full potential? Because you know, this is something we, we have. You know, we, we have the capacity. We have the brains. You know, we have the collectivity. We have all these brains around the world, all these people that, that if we do something together, we have a tremendous power. You know? But do we have this trust and wanting each other, that we can do things together and we can change things together. And I think that it comes down to, to this, you know, how, how can we to personally, you know, see you know, our capacity to change things, but also collectively. And I think that this is how, where there's this silver lining of, of, of building this capacity of putting the finger of where, to, where collectively we want to go. And, and I think this is where my, my energies will focus in the next, uh, next mm -hmm. years for sure. But I'm, I'm confident. I think we have, we have a potential. We have, we have all what is needed to, to be able to tackle these situations. But it's more of do we see the possibility that we can together do things and not just being alone in our own you know, corner and looking at the situation happening in front of us as a spectator, you know, mm -hmm. which... That won't be that wouldn't be the the best scenario for me. Right, as an individual mm -hmm. rather than as a whole, mm -hmm. as a group, as a society. I love that because it really brings that intertwining of the individual inner work, 
into coming and working through those spaces, those uncomfortable spaces and places towards those conversations that are pushing our edges to explore something new, not mm -hmm. only the more grand scheme of things to be able to mm -hmm. have those conversations and to put our brains to build something bigger, to mm -hmm. adapt, yep. right? Which And something really important you just mentioned, the, the, the discomfort mm -hmm. that oh, I so think important. is needed for change to happen. Mm -hmm. And we're in a society, like I said at the beginning, that we, we have so much distractions that are out there to keep the comfort. You know, we come back home, we have opened a TV, and there's this, these, you know, daily TV shows, and then you put on the radio, and there's this kind of always the same routine or the same songs playing almost in the same order. And everything is set up so that we can see life as being a routine so that we can be comforted, you know, and we try to stabilize things in our life. But nothing is stable. Nothing, and nothing will ever be stable. <laughs> and I don't think I find very much comfort in doing the same thing always, all the time, the same yeah. way, or hearing the same song that's becoming annoying, although it was a great song, and now I'm listening <laughs> to it a thousand times in an hour on the radio, which I don't even listen to anymore. Mm -hmm. But it's really interesting how we've allowed ourselves to adapt to this type of lifestyle that has been instilled Mm -hmm. towards us you know you go to work nine to five you come home you make supper you watch tv you tuck your kids to bed and you make the lunches and let's go and this is life yep but is it yeah and actually i've had a, a job a few weeks ago i was working at some place and i had to take the car and travel there it was uh, the other side of the island of montreal and i was stuck in traffic you know in the streets And oh my gosh, I experienced what it is to be anxious in traffic. And I, I understand why on the radio they would put, you know, like, you, you know, humor shows and people, you know, tell jokes and blah, blah. Because you need to dumb your mind when you're in traffic if you don't want to get, to get crazy, you know. But listening to those radio shows that always tell jokes, I think takes you away from realizing that Well, that's crazy. We're all What in this. We're in this traffic, and the cars being stopped—you know, one behind the other. All the pollution, all the anxiety, all the heat, all the—and we're trying to walk away from this discomfort by having, you know, these these radio shows, this music we're putting in, and and these cars that are becoming more and more comfortable. The SUVs that become more and more a second home for some people. Absolutely. Some people, and and I've seen some people just getting out of their house in their car just driving around because they would feel more comfortable sitting in their cars you know with the ac with the radio with the stereo stuff and so it becomes a source of comfort but it's the source of the problem <laughs> and, you know so, so it's, it's it's interesting how we are normalizing those those ways to cope you know with with the, the reasons of of the problems we're experiencing And I think what we should rather do is normalizing the discomfort. Yes. If we can realize that it is part of living and addressing the issues we're having to feel discomfort and to pay attention to this discomfort and to, to make us reflect on, oh, I'm experiencing something. I have a discomfort. How, 
what is the cause of that? You know, and instead of trying a way to find a way to cope with it and to, to push it on the side, say, what can I do about the source of the discomfort? This is where we can take action. You know? Or what can I do to live up to this challenge that is coming to confront me? Mm-hmm. You know, that, that I'm not used to confronting myself about mm-hmm. How can I change that so that the mind of one person can shift after one simple conversation if they're curious enough to actually go where the unsaid is, mm-hmm. where the unexplored is, where the unexpressed is. And my God, do we all have so much unexpressed and unsaid thoughts, emotions, ideas, experiences that can be so nourishing and resourcing Mm -hmm. to so many others by just by relating to it, just by knowing that we're not alone. Mm -hmm. So yeah, absolutely. And how can we maybe even cultivate more of that desire to go towards the uncomfortable conversation or the unsaid or the situations that are unfamiliar to us to Mm -hmm. manage our expectations, not only of our others, but of ourselves in Mm -hmm. those moments. And how can we become better people by being more authentic Mm -hmm. to what we actually feel, think, and say so that our words match the value of the word. Yeah. Yeah. And there's this concept of the authentic conversation or courageous conversation. There are different ways of approaching it. But I think, yeah, there's something cultural about it. I think in, in Quebec more specifically, I think we're more of a I think, personally, we're more of a consensus, you know, uh, culture and people try to avoid getting into conflict or to addressing conflict. In other cultures, maybe people are more uh, accustomed to, to, to talk things, you know, more directly, more frank, you know, and definitely I think it can have a great impact. Uh, so I think here in Quebec, we, we have this that I think has to be addressed possibly in the education system, but to to, to address this this you know the the authenticity the the, the courageous of, of raising concerns and that it's okay to create discomfort you know doesn't mean it has to be disrespectful no it's, no it's absolutely the, not two Very different, different things, things. You know? so you can raise concerns about that what you're feeling I mean that that's uh, that's a proper way to, to do it uh, doesn't necessarily mean that you have to attack someone and say well you right. someone else is the reason of my discomfort but to expressing discomfort is definitely legitimate and how do we cope with that how you know how do we accept this sharing and realize that it has a value and that not sharing it is also detrimental to both individual and the group. You know? mm-hmm. So so I think there's there's some work of to do around creating these spaces, like I, I used to say that where we want to go and, and where we are at with this discomfort, but but also in situations where there are tensions where we the discomfort is something that has, has an importance and and actually is a key ingredient in wanting to move forward, in wanting to change, in giving a driving force. And evolve to something different, something not necessarily better or worse, but something different that Mm -hmm. can maybe open up new uh, possibilities, new ideas. What do you think of the word trust? 
following、mm. what you just said.、Mm. Can that be something that we can build within our, our societies, within our individual being? And how can we do that to create this opening so that people can have better conversations and better、uh, interactions in those uncomfortable、mm-hmm. situations? Yeah. Well, I, I think there's something really beautiful about life, and that is that nothing is static. Everything moves. Everything changes. You know. And I think there's a big part of us that want to reframe that. That we don't want to go.、Uh, we would prefer things to stay the same at some point. And I think this capacity to embrace that things are evolving, that things are organic, that nature, life is always changing, it requires trust, trust in ourselves, you know, that we're capable of facing these changes. You no, know, we're organic beings.、Mm-hmm. You know, we life is changing. We are changing, and that is okay. You know, so trusting our own capacity, but trusting the others also. You know that the others are going through not the exact same journey, and we all all have our journeys. Thankfully, but thankfully, yeah. But we're living in the same on the same world and the same planet, and so we have commonalities. We have common grounds, you know, and I think the important is to pinpoint those common grounds and trusting that we will find we're able to find this and. It would be surprised sometimes. I would go to mediation, you know, sessions and and working with groups that you know sometimes it would be citizens and would be elected officials, it would be companies, it would be civil society groups around the table, you know, and people with really different interests, you know, and values sometimes. And the the challenge is to bring it down to what is our common ground here and what is. The key issue that we all agree on, and that we realize that we are all on it together, and that we can trust each other, that we're in this together, and that we want to move forward together. And I think that really finding this common ground is is the key challenge. Cooperation、right? versus competition. Well, yeah, because with competition we won't achieve anything. <laughs> we we might achieve something for some people, but not that. That's a really nice link to. Well,、uh, we can make a relation with what I was talking about: political system and democracy in general.、Yeah. Do we value a system where there's one class of people who are ruling? This is our current system right now. This is a system where there's one group ruling and the others follow. Or do we prefer a system where you know, we are collaborating because we are tackling the same problems, we're tackling the same issues that are affecting everyone? How can we together find solutions to that? It might take more time. It might take more discussion.、Mm-hmm. Maybe it might be hurtful. It might be painful for some people through you know having this discussion, going through this discomfort zone. And yes, up to some extent, we might lose some people in the process. Yeah, sometimes it can go to that extent. But as a people, as you know, a society, I think we have much more to gain、mm-hmm. in working together. So, so I think that. For this to happen, for sure, we need to come to this common understanding, which which requires much more work, <laughs> working on this. But I, like you mentioned, for the trust, I think that having trust in ourselves, in our capacity to be this organic being in an ever-changing world, and trusting that others are also in this same ever-changing world, and that even if we think we're really different. We're still, you know, in this same world where we have something in common that is facing this 
the adversity of, of, of this world that we don't know how things will go on, will things, how things will evolve. But there is one thing that we're sure of is that we have to come up with something, solution that we, we all work together on it because if not, none of us will succeed and we'll all hit the, the, <laughs> the wall. So, so it's, it's all together or nothing at some point you know, when we're looking at these complex situations. So hopefully, uh, I hope that, uh, that we as a people and, and you know, humans will, will come to this conclusion that our personal interest realize somehow in our collective interest. And if it's not now, well, I hopefully in the generations to come, but uh, I'm confident that this will uh, that this will happen. So as we're coming to the end of the podcast, I'd like to ask you two more really important questions that were brought up as you were talking. There's this talk that we've been having about discomfort and challenge and change. Mm-hmm. However, we haven't really explored what is it that we need to bring forth or learn or get curious about if we want to be able to learn how to have these uncomfortable conversations or discuss these uh, confronting uh, situations Mm. or have these challenging interactions Mm. or like what is it that we need to learn as a society to go forth in creating Mm. this... (laughs) ideal world of acceptance in yeah. evolution of whatever it may be mm-hmm. well some people might say might call it emotional intelligence or emotional awareness i think that we mm-hmm. we need to be more aware of what is what is happening in our body when we're going through these discomfort episodes and acknowledging that you know being able to say what well, what is that because if we don't take the time to acknowledge it when we will feel it we will want to to push away, we want to walk back. We won't want to experience that. You know, as and soon then, as we start to feel it, we're like, I don't want to go there. It's it's it's, it's discomfort. But if we can acknowledge mm-hmm. that, I'm feeling, why am I feeling that? What? And perhaps yeah. not falling back onto the same old addictions that we have, whether it's mm-hmm. eating or shopping mm-hmm. or drinking or you know over exercise or overachievement or taking another class or whatever yeah. it may be that you know all these listeners are. Are mm-hmm, doing mm-hmm. or that we're doing on our on yep. our time, so not falling in those habitual patterns of comfort every time that that discomfort comes up, and actually trusting the process mm-hmm. of what the body is saying is what you're saying. Mm-hmm. I yep. love that. Yeah, and as a body practitioner, I totally, completely, a hundred, two hundred percent. Mm-hmm. commit to that because really the body as is actually uh, telling us so much more than we give it credit for yeah. and very often I as a therapist realize how disconnected people are with not only their bodies but their sensations mm-hmm. their emotions and their true feelings and thoughts yeah. about any one topic right that expression comes that that trust that we want to have within ourselves comes with the expression of what we feel inside whether it's writing whether it's sharing it with someone or physically getting it out of our system so it's like if this anger that we feel is not valid and you shouldn't feel angry because it's bad Mm -hmm. but that's not true actually that anger is so powerful and very often a catalyst to Mm -hmm. the creation of new 
ideas and exploring new pathways. So that anger, that sadness, that grief, that that pain, that hurt, or that joy, or that connection, or that that thing that really, really resonated and that made you feel nice and warm and fuzzy. All of these are great indicators to how we can build more trust within ourselves and our bodies and our beliefs and our thoughts and our conversations can have an impact if we allow that trust. And perhaps those conversations gone on a bigger scale can mm-hmm. have environmental impacts and political changes that can hopefully guide us to a better tomorrow mm-hmm. or a better meanwhile until tomorrow comes. Yeah, yeah, and you mentioned the, the curiosity also, you know, that mm-hmm. the, to have the curiosity to explore you know, I'll, I'll, when you're feeling these emotions, how to, to use it as a leverage. And instead of, like you said, going to old patterns, how to to use that. And the same, sometimes, and that's interesting, a friend of mine was saying, you know, sometimes the same way that the, the body will, will react when you have a fear, for example, could be similar to when you have, you enjoy something, or the body will, will go through similar, that is yeah. excitement. So... So how to rewire a bit, uh, saying, well, okay, well, well, I feel that. How can I shift that in, and channel this feeling that I'm having and turn it into something that will bring me to be curious about mm-hmm. what I can do about, about this feeling and instead of going to, to the patterns? So definitely this can be something to explore for sure. Fantastic. And as a close, what would you say you are working on for yourself to create that trust, to show up fully in mm. every one of your interactions? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I allow myself more uh, to disclose to people, to, to share you know, how I'm feeling. And this is something that is risky, you know, because you never know how people will react. And quite often people are a little bit dis- feel discomfort when they receive how someone is feeling in, in, in a moment. But or think, how they don't receive sometimes because they're mm-hmm. not familiar oh, on how definitely. to receive somebody else's yep. feedback. Absolutely. Or, yeah. yeah. And I think this is part of the, the militant action we can take on mm-hmm. <laughs> is in the world we live in to be more, to, to share more in the world and just take this little leap of faith in sharing more about our feelings with, with people and see how this can have an impact and how can people sometimes can be, huh, this people's person shared a bit more than I'm used to? That's weird, but let me think about it. And and I'm sure that some people will say, huh, well, that's interesting because it created some discomfort that can lead to something. You know, Now I've learned a little bit more about that person, about this person's view of the world you know, by sharing how the person was feeling. And, And by having this mutual disclosure, I think that by disclosing, we allow other people to build that trust that they were talking about. And I think this is definitely something we need more in the world, mm-hmm. the trust in ourselves. So trying this more and more and building trust with others by mm-hmm. doing it, by sharing. And this is something I think we can all do individually, you know, gradually, maybe not tomorrow, start to <laughs> tell to everyone how you feel about everything. But to start, you know, a little bit to more learn the gradually. discernment of yeah. knowing when and where and yeah. how to and push yeah. our boundaries. But yeah, 
to push a little bit more this boundary and disclosing a little bit more. And I think that more and more, the more we do that, I think it can have an, an impact and at least touch a few other people and these other people will start to do it. And this, I think, can have some trigger effect. And I think we need to not underestimate, you know, little actions that we can do. You know, power of a drop that creates a ripple yeah. effect in waves that it can carry be, forward throughout the world, right? Yeah, it can be really powerful. And actually, I would say maybe it's what is the most powerful mm -hmm. is to have this ripple effect. I love that. Is there anything that you would like to share with the listeners before we move on? Tips, some... Um, wisdom something that's on your heart something that you would like to shout out off the montreal's <laughs> rooftops or just yeah. something that you really hold close and that you really want everybody to mm. be reminded of something mm -hmm. that's important for you yeah 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 well i think that yeah to remember that we are really really privileged in the world that we live in you know even though it's not a perfect world for sure and there is a lot of things that And I'm saying that coming from a privileged position, you know, mm -hmm. I'm a white cis man. Uh, and I know and I'm aware that, you know, there are so many things that are happening here that I will never experience in my whole lifetime, you know, and that people experience on their, on a daily basis, you know, microaggressions and things like that. But even though I, this, I, I, I think that, you know, we live in such a privileged position to be in this place in the world, right, in this time. And uh, and I really encourage us to to be aware of that and to yeah to consider this as yeah just a piece of, of wisdom saying you know what we have this opportunity you know and how can we grow through this opportunity how can it make us you know uh, consider our life in a way that is more appreciative of what what we are and what we have and what what we we do. Not necessarily to have more pressure on us and put pressure of doing things, but but just acknowledging that you know we are in this place and time in a really privileged position, and yeah, I think this just being aware of that by itself is a lot, but I think it can open a lot of opportunities when we acknowledge it, and yeah. What I hear from that is increasing awareness can really have a ripple effect on our gratitude towards life. And mm. when we step forward with that gratitude, things change. Mm -hmm. Yeah. This, uh, yeah. Fantastic. Thank you so much. I think there's so much more that I want to talk about, but unfortunately um, we are out of time and you have things and I have things and you probably have things out there wherever you are, whether you're driving or taking a walk or doing laundry, whatever you're doing. I hope you have a fantastic morning, afternoon or evening. Make sure you take a moment to take three deep, deep, deep breaths throughout your day at some point and perhaps many more times after that. And um, come back to your awareness of the blessings of your life. I wish you a wonderful morning, afternoon and evening. See you later.